Good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and open them up with me to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 17 just to review uh, what we looked at last week. But Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. We are in need of your spirit to teach us and to, to show us what Jesus is teaching us here. Humble our hearts before your presence. Remove from us any self-righteous pride that might remain. And teach us to cast ourselves upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's important as we think about Matthew chapter 5 that we remember who his audience is, who Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is speaking to Jewish 
people primarily and specifically talking to Jewish leaders. And in that time and in that day, the Jewish leaders and many of the practicing Jews of that day were convinced of their own self-righteousness. The religion of the day had come to a place where people believed that they could keep the law of God to the extent that they could justify themselves. In other words, they didn't really believe that they were all that bad. And what we come to in this section of Scripture is where Jesus is confronting a group of people who are relaxing his standard by teaching the exact standard. Jesus is exacting the standard while people are relaxing the standard. And this is what people have been doing throughout human history, throughout church history even. This is what self-righteous, prideful, self-reliant people have to do. If we are going to be people who are able to justify ourselves, who are able to commend our own good work before God, we're going to have to take God's perfect standard, His exact standard, and relax it. We're going to have to make it attainable. We're going to have to make obedience to His law attainable, achievable. And this is exactly what the people of this day were doing. That's why Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. It is so important, brothers and sisters, to come to grips with how easy it is for us as human beings to relax the holiness of God. And what we're going to see as we look at anger this morning and, and over the next six weeks we look at several other issues is that Jesus has no place for that. In fact, Jesus takes the standards that the people of his day had relaxed and he pinpoints them, he exacts them with perfect clarity. You know, people in his day were believing as we come to this section that if they had never physically murdered another person, that they had never violated the commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. You know, we've experienced this as parents, I think, where we think about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law or the intent of the law. How many of you have had children who have sinned against another one of their siblings? And you turn to the child who has sinned against one of their siblings and you say to them, apologize to your brother or your sister. Now, 
Now, the child can obey the commandment, right? Sorry. But they missed it, haven't they? They missed the point that what we were actually telling them to do was recognize that what you have done is wrong and confess that to your brother or your sister and repent. You know, I've seen this with adults and maybe you've experienced this in in your own life in the realm of forgiveness. That God commands his children to forgive to forgive their brothers and to forgive their sisters. And yet, time after time after time after time, we run into adults, we run into people who have had issues with others, and they say, you know, I've I've forgiven them, but I'm never going to have anything to do with them ever again. You see, outwardly, they say all the right things, Outwardly, they make all the right motions, but inwardly, they don't forgive. So in this section of Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see six examples. Six examples that Jesus is going to use. And, And here's what I want you to understand. What Jesus is going to do with these six examples in Matthew chapter 5 is he is going to shred every single last remaining vestigial piece of self-righteousness that we have left. That's what he's going to do. That is the purpose of Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to verse 48. If you have any doubt to that notion... In in verse 48, Jesus says this. After he goes through these six topics, he says, so you therefore must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And that's where we're at. So look with me at, at verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. This is the teaching that the Jews were receiving. That God in his commandment said, you shall not murder. And therefore, if you physically, externally go up to someone and physically take their life, you are guilty of committing murder and will be liable to judgment. Now, you think about his audience, many of the people sitting in that audience would be thinking, well, great. I've never killed anybody. Right? Have any of us in here ever murdered anyone? Most likely not. And so with this understanding of this commandment, we could all look at this commandment, thou shalt not murder, and go, 
yes, I got this one. Next. Right? And this is exactly, this is precisely what Jesus is going to prevent us from doing. Jesus comes and says, but I say to you. And this is, these, these words we will see over the next six weeks, but I say to you. And he does not, this is D.A. Carson, he does not begin these contrasts by telling them what the Old Testament says, but rather what they heard it has said. This is an important observation because Jesus is not negating something from the Old Testament, but something from their understanding of it. In other words, Jesus appears to be concerned with two things, overthrowing erroneous tradition and indicating authoritatively the real direction toward toward which the Old Testament scriptures point. He also says this, that Jesus does not give us a series of, of, of contradictions rather than dispense with the law of God. It is clear from his searching teaching that he is giving us a thorough and heart-searching exposition of it. In other words, Jesus is not um, contradicting what the Old Testament has said. He is simply saying that what your teachers have told you the Old Testament has said has fallen short. So this is what he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The word here is orgaitho, the Greek word, and what this has to do with is brooding, simmering anger that is nurtured in the human heart and not allowed to die. Bitterness. This is the, the anger of the human heart that, that holds a grudge against the people around them. That outwardly makes things appear as if everything is fine, but inwardly simmers. Question. Have you ever been bitter? Is there a person in this room that can say they've never held a grudge against someone? Have you ever allowed anger toward another person to just simmer in your heart? That's this. And Jesus says that if you've done that, if that's ever taken place in your heart toward another person, that you are guilty before the court. That's what liable to judgment means. 
Another way of translating is that you shall be guilty before the civil court. MacArthur says this, that to be guilty before the civil court should have been to be guilty of murder and deserving of the death penalty. Anger merits execution because the fruit of anger is murder. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Moving on. Jesus says this. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. The word insults here is the word raka. And in the English language, there is not a, an English equivalent that really does the word raka justice. That's why most English translations just have the transliteration raka in the translation. But the idea of the word raka is an arrogant contempt for another person. To consider another person a silly fool or a brainless idiot is a term of slander. Another way to understand it is prideful, arrogant disdain for another human being who's created in the image of God. Have you ever held someone else in contempt in your entire life? In your entire life, have you ever had prideful disdain for another image bearer of God? Jesus says, if we have committed this sin in our heart of having prideful disdain and arrogant contempt for another human being, that we are liable to judgment. The next, that second word judgment is a different Greek word which means to the council. We are liable to the council. So you go from being liable to the civil court to being liable to the council which is the Sanhedrin. Jesus tells his Jewish audience that if they have ever held another image bearer of God in prideful contempt, they are guilty before the council. This is the council of the seventy the Supreme Court of the Jewish land, the Sanhedrin. This council tried the most serious cases and meted out the most severe penalties. And Jesus is saying to his Jewish listeners, if you have ever had prideful disdain for another person, you are guilty and liable before the highest court of the land. He moves on. He says, whoever insults his brother or whoever says, sorry, whoever says you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. The word that's translated fool here is the word maros, which is where we get the word moron from. 
So in 1 Corinthians, for example, when Christian, the, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, the Greek word is moroni, is moronic. But look what Jesus says to these listeners. He says to these listeners that if you say in your heart, you fool, that you are liable through the hell of fire. How about you, brothers and sisters? Has that thought ever occurred in your mind? Those words ever come off your tongue? Have you ever sat in prideful disdain over another person? Bitterness, holding grudges. Jesus literally says that you who say to your brother, you fool, you are liable to the hell of fire. The word that's translated there, hell of fire, is the Greek word Gehenna, which is a transliteration of two Hebrew words that mean the valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom, if you're an Old Testament scholar, you might know what that is, but you can read about it in 2 Chronicles, is where King Ahaz offered up his sons to the fire in worship to the God of Molech. It is also the place in Scripture that once King Josiah took his reign and began to reform the nation of Israel, he turned that very valley, he crushed the altars, he tore down the pillars, he tore down the pagan shrines, and turned that valley into a dumpster fire. It was literally in the days of Jesus, the city dump that burned perpetually. And Jesus says to these Jews who knew exactly what Gehenna was, that if you have called your brother, you fool, you are liable. To Gehenna. It was a euphemism for hell itself. You see, the, the religious leaders of the day had taken the commandment of God, which is, Thou shalt not murder, and they had so watered it down, they had so relaxed the commandment that all it meant was that as long as you didn't physically take a club and take someone's life, you have obeyed it. And Jesus, knowing the spirit of the law, being the author of the law, knowing God's intent of the law, looks at these hearers and says, no, if you have bitterness in your heart toward your brother or your sister, if you call your brother or sister, you fool, or if you had prideful or disdainful contempt, for other image bearers of God, you are guilty of breaking the commandment, thou shalt not murder. The reality of the situation is that every person in this room this morning before God is guilty of murder.
That's the reality. You know, in dealing with counselees that want to excuse their sin, I know many of you have heard this before. In dealing with counselees who want to excuse their sin and are unwilling to reconcile with people and unwilling to repent for lifestyles that they're engaged in, what they will say to excuse their behavior is this. Well, God knows my heart. And when I look at them, I say exactly. God knowing our heart should not bring us comfort. It doesn't bring any human being comfort. Maybe you're sitting there this morning, like I was sitting there this week thinking, man, Jesus, are you serious? Are, are, are we being serious here that if, if I harbor bitterness in my heart, if I slander another person, or I hold another person in prideful contempt, you are saying that I am just as guilty before God as a man who goes out and slaughters another man? Yep. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that we as human beings will, will give an account for every careless word we speak. Isn't that sobering? It's sobering. And what the effect, what the effect of this truth, of what the effect of Jesus' teaching here should be in the human heart is brokenness. in humility before God. Jesus is taking this group of people that he's talking to who are absolutely convinced that they have kept this commandment and shattering that illusion. And the reality is, is what it should be doing in this room this morning is helping all of us understand that if we have some kind of grand illusion about ourselves that we have not broken this commandment and it should shatter that illusion. But here's the point. 
that the commandments of God, all of God's commandments, from the very beginning, his intent all along was to aim at the human heart. It's always been this way. Jesus is confronting us on such a deep level. The commandment is focused on the heart. As a result, the second point is that every human being on the face of planet Earth is guilty of breaking this commandment. Every human being on the face of planet Earth is guilty of breaking the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And due to the fact that we are guilty of breaking this commandment, every single human being on the face of planet Earth, including you and me, are liable to the judgment of God for murder. Guys, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus Christ is using God's perfect and exact and exacting moral standard to do what God's perfect and exacting moral standard is intended to do. And that intent is to condemn us. Listen to what this author says. These verses make one great point, that the Old Testament law forbidding murder must not be thought of adequately satisfied when no blood has been shed. Rather, the law points to a more fundamental problem, man's vilifying anger. Jesus, by his own authority, insists that the judgment thought to be reserved for the actual murderer in reality hangs over the wrathful, spiteful, and contemptuous. And then he asks this question. What man stands uncondemned? Answer? No one. Jesus is using the law what the law was intended to do. If you read 2 Corinthians 3, you will understand that God's law was never given by God. So the human being could go to the law, figure out how to keep it as best as we could, and then, hey, as long as I kept this law as, as, as good as I can, I, I can justify myself. That was never the intention. We learn from Paul that the law was given for one reason and one reason only. It has the ministry of condemnation. That any human being who looks at God's law for what it is, not relaxing God's standards, not watering things down, but allowing God to say what God says, when they look at the law, the only conclusion that you and I can come to is I am guilty. That's it. Right? That is what Scripture teaches. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, guys, you think you've never committed murder, but you've been committing murder in your heart for your entire life.
I want to look very quickly at the necessity of reconciliation. What we need to do is be reconciled to our brother. Jesus gives two illustrations. One illustration illustrates the necessity of being reconciled, and the other illustration illustrates the urgency of being reconciled. Necessity. Jesus says this, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then, then come and offer your gift. See, the, the, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, has an opposite. And that opposite is love your brother. And so Jesus is saying to these folks, if you have contempt in your heart right now, if you are harboring bitterness in your heart right now, if you are considering other people fools in your heart right now, before you do your little worship stuff, before you go through all your little you know, religious duties, put it all down and go get it squared away. Listen to this statement, and this is truth. Men and women love to substitute ceremony and religious duty for integrity, purity, and love. But Jesus will not have any of it. Seriously, let's think about that for a minute. It is much easier to come in here, give some money, sing some song, cry some tears, say some amen, than it is to have legitimate anger in our heart for someone and go and get it figured out. Isn't it? Necessity. God's saying, God's saying, if you will to worship me, then you got to be reconciled with these. First John talks about this. First John says, how can you love God whom you have not seen when you don't love your brother who's sitting right in front of your face? Let's not, be, let's not be the hypocrites, guys, that love to substitute ceremony and religious duty for the weightier things of integrity, purity, love, genuine worship. It's necessary. Reconciliation is necessary. The next point is it's urgent. Jesus gives this illustration. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to, to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is simply saying, do it now. 
If there are people in your life that you are harboring bitterness against, deal with it now. Before there's not an opportunity to deal with it. Guys, this is an incredible standard. And it's something for me, just as I'm sitting here, I'm preparing for this sermon, thinking, man, it, it almost seems impossible that Jesus is actually saying this, but this is actually what he's saying. And for the last three weeks as I've been looking through this sermon, you know what I've been struggling with more than anything here lately? Anger. You know what the reality is for me due to my anger? I am guilty of murder before God. How about you? Where do you stack up with this standard? I'm going to look at a passage. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in regards to the law. Paul says that before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the intended effect of God's exacting standard. That we are held as sinners, we are held captive under the law. The law has pressed in on us. We are enslaved to the perfect moral standards of God in our inability to keep it. But look at verse 24. I want you to see the hope. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. You see, God's intended effect of the law was to teach human beings how broken they really are. That we would look at God's exacting standards and come to the conclusion that I am 100% without question totally guilty before God. That there is no righteousness in me. that I have broken the commandment, thou shalt not murder. 
thousands of times in my life. And thus I am responsible. I am culpable. I am liable to a holy and just God. But here's the good news. This law, the, just this commandment, let's think about it this way. Thou shalt not murder is your guardian. The word literally means, it's, it, it's pedagogue, pedagogos, tutor. The commandment thou shalt not murder is, is our tutor, our teacher. Until Christ comes. What should the, the commandment thou shalt not, shalt not murder do? It should help us reach the conclusion that we are condemned before a holy God. And it should drive us in brokenness and humility to the Lord Jesus Christ. That every person in this room this morning who stands before God declared righteous has been forgiven of murder. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. We recognize that in us, there is nothing good, nothing praiseworthy apart from the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that you would help us by your Spirit to love our brothers and sisters, to love our fellow image bearers of God, Give us grace, Lord, to worship as those who have been acquitted of murder before a holy God. We give praise to you and thanks to you for the grace that you have displayed us to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful beyond words for his sacrifice on our behalf. Help us, Lord, as your church to honor you from our hearts and not just from our lips. That we would obey you and serve you with sincerity and that we would reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world that we live in for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.